0: Today's episode is about relationships. Now, a lot of it is focused on personal, romantic, committed relationships, because that's something that I'm interested in. But as we talk about relationships, we should talk about the bigger meaning of relationship, because it is one of the major aspects of being human, of being a consciousness with boundaries to you, where I am Sam. This microphone in front of me is not Sam. Sam. Me and the microphone have a relationship, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But it is really just how you relate to other people, places, and things, sometimes adjectives. You could have a bad relationship to the word moist, for instance. That's a popular one I've heard. But the point is, is that a relationship is more than you. It is the combination of you plus thing. So you might walk down the street every day and see a daisy, and every single day you pick up a daisy. You smell it. You enjoy it. But after three weeks, you've picked every single daisy off the road. In that instance, you would have a great relationship to that street. That street might not have a great relationship to you. And so if you've ever been in a relationship like me that meets all your needs, that seems fantastic and out of the blue, your partner leaves you, well, you might have had a good relationship to your partner, but your partner did not have a good relationship to you. So it's kind of a balance, a combination of the two. It does require some personal sacrifice. It does require knowing what you want and need, but also taking into account what other people want and need. And managing your relationships is one of the core things you will do here. It is some of the help you will get when you go see professionals. For instance, an oak tree. To someone, it might represent swinging on a swing with their parents when they were children. To another person, that oak tree might represent branches that were broken to hit them with. And just because you have a bad relationship to an oak tree does not make an oak tree bad necessarily. Although I'm sure there are a couple bad oak trees in the world doing terrible things. But it does mean that your relationship to oak trees could use some work. Or maybe you might just want to avoid oak trees. That's okay too. Avoidance works sometimes. So as we think about relationships, it really is a balance. There's a lot of advice Going around out there that's really egocentric about what a relationship should give you, what you need out of a relationship. And that is part of it, but it's only the me part of the relationship. And as we discuss relationships on how to human, we'll be talking about the actual culmination, that beautiful synthesis of figuring out how to have a connection to people, to your friends, to your parents, if you're able to. I know not everybody is, if you have one, a romantic partner. And here's the thing. One of the quickest ways to see how much integrity someone has, how spiritual someone is, is to see them in front of their partner, preferably behind closed doors, although we don't actually get access to that in most avenues of life. But that's the hard part when picking people to choose to talk about relationships, is it's really easy to come in front of a microphone and have a bunch of ideas about relationships, but we don't actually know who they are behind the scenes. They could be terrible, terrible partners and just maybe loving the relationship they're in from their perspective. This guest is a little different. One, I got to send one of my moles, one of my people, into their household. <laughs> it's Jen, Jen Pasteloff. She's one who introduced me to Gay and Katie Hendricks. They are both PhDs. They are both brilliant we had Gay on a couple weeks ago talking about the upper limit problem, which gets discussed in this conversation, but Katie on her own is one half of their incredible relationship body of work. When I read their book, Conscious Loving, which they wrote together, it was clear there was no one conversation we could have to cover the depth of all their work, all their ideas and all the stuff they've learned and put together to help people in relationships this is more of a crash course of sorts, as well as a, a teaser, maybe to inspire you. If you like their method, if you like their ideas, I invite you to take them on as teachers, either through a workshop that they offer or just through their books. I have been reading their books, thoroughly enjoying it. And I think my partner and I are actually about to read Conscious Loving together to see how it bounces off both of us. So this conversation is about relationships relationships. Katie Hendricks is brilliant. I love their approach. It's different than I've gotten in couples counseling and through other relationship books. So if you have done all that and not quite connected with it, you might hear something that you really love here. And this is the start of a bigger conversation for you to have about your own life, about your relationships in your life, the people who you have relationships with, especially the people who you cohabitate with and are romantic with. So this episode is with Katie Hendricks all about relationships. Hi, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) I always like to start with this question, and this can be as big or small as you want or interpret it as, but Katie, who are you?
1: I love that you asked that because I have been looking at how can I explain what it is that I do and who I am? So I am an evolutionary catalyst, a contextual disruptor, and a freelance mentor. And what I do in the world, my purpose is I feel through to the heart with laser love and evoke essence through deep play.
0: I love that. And you're also a classically trained PhD psychologist.
1: I wouldn't say classically trained. I would say Gay. My husband, Gay Hendricks, is classically trained. He's a Stanford PhD, but I got my PhD from... The Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. So my graduate school is one of the more innovative graduate schools that includes transpersonal, which is through the personal on into what is beyond our personal relationship. So I am trained as a psychologist. I also have been a registered dance movement therapist for 50 years. Wow. And what that means is that I'm passionate about the language of the body, because as we know, or maybe some people don't know, in communication, only about 7% of what you're communicating is through the words. Everything else is the how the tonality, what you're doing with your body, and particularly when people open up to the language of movement, everything else in their lives works more effectively and just more with more juice because if we're just sitting and talking and talking heads, it's just such a small amount of what humans can be and do and communicate.
0: Yeah, so incorporating the the somatic experience into yes. it. I love that. And I'm actually going to specifically touch on that later in this conversation. Because you and Gay are both people who you could spend a very long time being your students. <laughs> you've, <laughs> you've written extensively. Yes. Even the collaboration between you two, Conscious Loving, is a book that you could read for a fairly long time. It's not I, a...
1: Yes, I'm glad to hear you say that, because what we did was pour everything that we had been experimenting with and that we had learned about relationships into that book. And it's been continuously in print since 1990, which has been really wonderful and is considered kind of a classic in the field. And, and what it's really about is practices that we can keep developing and using really lifelong. So it's not like, okay, you got that check. There are really ways to continue growing your relationship, not just your romantic relationships, but growing your relationships to be thriving lifelong rather than peaking and then going into recycling, which is how a lot of people think about their relationships.
0: Yeah. It's a book that you could highlight right in the margins, read it once, read it twice with your partner, and it would continue to, to feed. So it's, it's very dense and-
1: Yes, it's got lots and lots of information. In fact, like there's on one page, we wrote this little phrase, withhold, withdraw, project. And just that little dynamic could be, I've explored for a couple of weeks with you know, seminar participants. So yes, it's, it's dense. But it also comes to life through, in the back of the book, and really in all of our books, we have activities that people can do that will allow them to actually experience the principles, not just think about them. Because what we have found is that if you're not actually engaging in the direct experience of conscious loving, you can just kind of bounce off. You can go, oh, well, that was nice. So we've really found all of our work, Actually, it's not work. It's really more play. It is really about the possibilities of close relationship rather than the problems of close relationship.
0: One of the things I want to take advantage of, because it became apparent while trying to be students of you and Gay, that (laughs) there's no hour-long conversation I can have with either of you that could substitute just taking some time for the listener to take some time to read what you guys have produced and maybe even go further and do workshops. But so one of the things I thought we could take advantage of is to just hear some of your experiences and concepts on a, on a higher level and see if people are interested in that to take the next step and see if this is something they want to dedicate some time learning about. One of the things Gay brought up is relationships aren't taught in school. It's, abs- it's absurd. That we're not it's taught so about.
1: absurd, and yeah. it's still going on. Not only are relationships not taught in school, but they're not taught as adults. And there's so much misleading mythology about relationship that's still really perpetuated. So, like people used to call married people the Bickersons, for example. Like, oh, I see you, you know, hassling each other. You must be married. The sense of oh boy, have your fun now. Because after you get married, it's basically all over. You're you're going to have to compromise and you can't have fun with the boys anymore. And those, those kinds of mythologies really hamper us, I think, from taking advantage of the possibility of continuing to develop who you are. We say that the purpose of our work is to reveal essence. And... In the presence of another person, to be able to be fully yourself and to have this flow of love and communication, it's like a garden where you plant these seeds and then your attention and your practices allow your garden to bloom in ways that you could not have imagined.
0: Yeah. And I think the the pendulum has swung a little bit. Yeah, I think there was an overcorrection, which is to me actually perfectly normal as a society refining its culture, but it swung a little bit in the other direction. Where now I see a lot of people like, well, and it's part of it is true and good, where it's like you're worth love and respect, and so if this person's not good enough for you, just dump them. <laughs> <You> know,
1: it's, <laughs> right, very, just
0: it's very move quick on.
1: To, right. Yeah, it's
0: very <laughs> quick to what you deserve and this, but. I hope that it swing, it kind of balances in the middle of more collaborating, and that you are amazing, you are worthy of love and respect and decency, and the whoever you end up with is not going to be perfect, just like you're not going to be perfect. And the idea is, are you too willing to do the journey into learning how to give each other what you truly deserve?
1: Right. Yes, and uh, so much of that. I'm just teaching one of our advanced training that happens once a year, and we're right in the middle of that now. We've moved it on to online, which is actually working out great because we're doing it weekly rather than in a big lump. So people are able to kind of have a bite, integrate, digest, and then uh, take in some more. And one of the things that we've been talking about and playing with is that As an individual, like you and I are talking, if something went wrong on the call here, both of us would be looking at, okay, what can I do about this? Because I'm here as an individual, and so I'm responsible for myself. But there's this weird thing that happens in relationship, because I'm doing just fine. You know, I have this sense of myself, and then I get into relationship, and suddenly I'm not fine anymore. And what's the variable? The variable is you. It's the other person. And so there's this kind of tendency to think of the other person as the one who has to shift in order to resolve something or open up to something. And so that lack of responsibility is one of the main things that people run into in their relationships that... uh, if you, I'm just waiting for you to take responsibility. You know, I'm just, well, I've done my part and when are you going to do your part? And so that kind of na na na, is one of the common things that happens that keeps people from really enjoying the benefits of a, of a close relationship. And that's one of the things that we look at with people is, are you willing to take a hundred percent responsibility for the relationship? And then, if each person is, you have two whole people rather than two people. Like one of the sayings in relationship is, How's your other half? And that when you get into a relationship, people think you're supposed to diminish yourself so that each of you can kind of not take up too much space or overwhelm the other. But one of the keys is that each of you is completely whole. And each of you can co-create with the other rather than getting into power struggles.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but Please. I I know a lot of people <laughs> who most of the people I've collected over the years and who I surround myself with are thinkers and c- contemplative. And one of the, the things that comes up is knowing When to pursue, I guess, and to keep going in a relationship. And so this might come off as a little bit critical, but I just think it's a good place to start. Sure. When when you meet new couples, what is the absolute barest minimum necessity for them to have what it takes to keep investing and to keep going forward? And when really, in your point of view, are the shortcomings that you would, counsel, a dear friend. Hey, Mm -hmm. I know you both love each other, but this actually isn't that because it's very easy to say, Hey, you're smart and beautiful. I'm smart and beautiful. And there's love. There's some sensation and feeling of love, but this is actually untenable.
1: Yes, I totally, I get you. So I hear at least two questions here. So I want to address both of them if I can. The necessity is either it's on a continuum of at least willingness and ideally commitment. So we say that commitment is absolutely the ticket, the portal, the doorway into creating the relationship that you really want, regardless of what has been going on. And commitment we think of as getting into the game. So commitment is getting down off the bleachers where you're having lots of opinions and getting on the field. I also like to use the analogy of, if I want to learn to swim, what's the first thing that I've got to do? I have you to get to in the pool. <laughs> yeah, And so I actually have seen a lot of people who stand around the pool and have opinions about, oh, water looks too cold, or I'm going to see how other people do. I'm going to see if they're having a good time. And if they are, then I'll get in. So The whole act of guaranteeing, I don't want to get in until I know what you're going to do, those are dramas around commitment. And the the bottom line necessity is that a person would be willing to do whatever is necessary to really transform their relationship or create the relationship that they really want. You're never going to know how, because commitment comes first, willingness comes first. See, once you're, if you if you want to learn how to swim, you might get in the pool and discover that you float. You're one of those people who float. So it's not as hard for you to learn to swim as you thought it would be. Or there may be something really specific, like you need to learn how to paddle before you can really learn how to be an elegant butterfly swimmer. If people are willing to take the baby steps, they'll learn that, but they don't learn that until then they get in the pool. So a lot of times there's this kind of negotiation like, well, just tell me what's going to happen and then I'll decide if I want to do it. And that's really like trying to drive your car from the back seat or putting the cart before the horse, depending on whatever analogy you want to use, but to mobilize your energy, you got to be in alignment with the vehicle that you've gotten into. So that's the bottom line. And what I also hear you describing We say that there are three kinds of relationship. There is toxic, learning, and celebratory. And it's like a bell curve that most of the relationships are learning, but there are a very small number. We've like mm, four or five, somewhere between four and 8% of relationships are actually toxic. And what that means is literally you make each other sick. Mm-hmm. And, and we've see, seen that over and over again over the years, that people who are in toxic relationships may be very fine people on their own, but when they get together, they, they just create sludge, or a, a kind of volatility that reverberates not only to them, but if they're in families, it affects the kids. It, it affects the extended family and toxic relationships are very hard to transform. And so we have found that the best thing is to support the people to get out of the relationship in the friendliest way possible. So people are often so relieved. We've had lots of folks who've gotten these very nice people have gotten out of their relationships and then they've gotten into A relationship that really resonates with them and have been created a very successful relationship but there are a lot of people who think well I made my bed I just got to stick it out and a lot of society will say that also well for better or for worse but if there's no better it's really creates suffering for everybody and we've just seen so many people thrive when they get out of their toxic relationships So the the learning relationship is that you get into a relationship to learn something that you really couldn't learn in any other way. You get out of that, you get into the relationship because you on your own keep repeating a pattern that you've learned. You know, it's generally, we didn't come in this way, we learned these patterns from society, from our parents, from movies. There are all kinds of ways that we learn these and then we recycle them in our adult relationships. So the relationship is a place where you can experience what you need to learn. But what also comes with a learning relationship is what I was describing earlier of Wait a minute, I was doing just fine and now I'm with you and I feel terrible. It must be your fault. So we resist learning the very thing that we got into the relationship to learn. There's classic kinds of polarities that often happen. You'll have the thinker and the feeler who get together. And, or what we call the glommer and the splitter, the glommer who loves to be close and the splitter who must have his or her space. <laughs> and then they try to get the other person to be like them. And so Gay and I were classic glommer and splitter. So you can probably just tell by the way I'm using that. Guess what I am? <laughs> you know, so, you know, gay, visionary, goes in a room and writes every day by himself. So classic splitter. And so when we first got together, that was one of the main things that was a possibility of learning from each other, that... And, and we actually committed to, to do that. One of our commitments is that we wrote about in Conscious Loving and others of our relationship books is being willing to learn from every relationship interaction. In fact, we call that the, the key relationship commitment that you can make because you can learn from everybody that you're interacting with during the day, but particularly your partner, your key partner is something that looks like it's in hassle or uh, something went wrong. It's also an opportunity to learn. So over the years, Gay and I have absolutely learned from each other. Thinker and feeler was another, you know, so Gay's classic, you know, Stanford graduate. I am a dance movement therapist. So we've got the, you know, the thinker and the feeler. And so the hassle would be, you know, you have to do it my way and control issues Come out of that. But if I'm willing to learn, whoa, then my relationship can be a place of discovery. So that's what goes on in a learning relationship. And then a very small number. So in the bell curve, a very small number are celebratory. And we've met, we've worked with, gosh, thousands and thousands of partners and couples. And I think we've met four. That we, when we met them, we thought, you know, you guys are just doing great. And let's take you to lunch. So there's no work to do in a celebratory relationship. You're really co creating with each other and you're living in waves of supporting what the other wants to do, celebrating with each other, appreciating each other. And what comes out of that is that creativity replaces conflict. So most people get their juice in the relationship from drama and that from, from like, yeah, I'm right. No, you're right. No. And they think that's a relationship, but in a celebratory relationship, you get your juice from creativity. I know that was a long answer. No, that um, is
0: exactly the kind of answers I want. Oh, super. Yeah, can we talk a bit? Can we talk about the framework of the relationship you're talking about in conscious loving, which is co-commitment, co-creation, yes. Yes. and then we can start on the the high note of talking about what kind of dynamic are you guys trying to foster as facilitators, mm-hmm. midwives essentially, and then we can go a little bit into the dynamics at play after that. And so, so sure. could you, yeah, so sure. can you explain your because. Con- Georgie, my partner and I are in uh, couples therapy. I've been to lots of diff- different couples therapists. Your framework is different than what I've seen in other books. So it, could we talk yes. about? Yes, sure. Yeah.
1: Well, our framework is based on your being a whole person who has a body and that you're, you're communicating through your whole body. You're not just communicating through your words. And so what we're looking at is, how are you together? And we use a great deal of experiential work and experiments and explorations so that people can really feel into and become conscious to the dynamic of particularly what I call the relationship dance. So central to your relationship is how you give and receive attention and how you move into unity and into individuation, that all relationships are a dance of unity and individuation, of getting close and getting separate. And very often that dynamic is invisible to the partners. And so one of the the dynamics that often occurs is that one person want, when one person wants to get close the other person starts retreating and then when the other person wants to get close the other person so it's a kind of a game of invisible chase. So what we're looking at is what is the dynamic of getting close and getting separate and are both people aware of that and are you actually tuning into what you actually want or is that coming from fear? So a lot of people think I have to be close or the relationship doesn't work. And that's one of the myths that our society fosters is that in a relationship, you're sort of locked at the hip. And that's another of the your other half because if you're unified, you, we even have couples who would speak for each other. And that's something that lets us know, do, 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 they don't have their (laughs) individuation signals clear. We help people, for example, to see what are your body signals that you're wanting to have space for yourself. And we worked, we, we worked with one couple. I remember from, this was from a while back who had never in the nine years of their relationship, spent any time apart from each other, and we got, we went like, well, no wonder, <laughs> because when you've expanded your capacity to re- give and receive more love, you need solo integration time to actually make that a part of your being. Otherwise, it kind of bounces off, because our dynamic as humans really has to do with how much love and positive energy we can give and receive. And we've all learned to put a cap on that. It's what we call the upper limit problem that I expand more than my I can actually handle. And then what couples often do in relationship is they'll do something to bring each other back down to that familiar level. And so for couples, that's often control and criticism. And then you don't feel quite so good, but you kind of recognize each other. So the dynamic that we would use are many kinds of experiential activities we've developed over the years that will let them know what we already see, is that there's an issue with one of you has no idea what you want and are not able to say that. And that was more the issue for me. So when Gay and I got together... I could tell what he wanted before he knew what he wanted. I was like a surgical nurse. I could just look at him and tell what he needed. As I was growing up, it was very important for me to know what particularly my mother was going to be doing because she was a little crazy. So my attention was out all the time rather than on me. What do I want? And so Gay would, would say, you know, where do you want to go for dinner? And I go, uh, where, where would you like to go? So I would toss it back to him and that outer focus was something that I needed to learn to bring back to myself, to really notice what is it that I want and to be able to share that. So that's an example of one of the things that would arise out of looking at a pattern. But the central pattern that you can keep coming back to again and again is how are we getting close and getting separate? And then the other one, which is so important, is what scientists call bids for attention. But oh. we have a rule that we call never ignore a flopsy. And we learned that from our cat, Allie, who's sitting down here. She likes to be with me when I'm, when I'm doing this because she likes to hear my voice. This is a source <laughs> of nutrient for this her. This is
0: heaven for her.
1: It's heaven for her. She yeah. just loves it. So she's huddled under there kind of mmm. So... We noticed early on, our our cats now are eight uh, years old. And when they were little, Allie would walk in front of us and she would do a bustle, bustle and then flop over. And when she would do that, I would lean over and pet her. So that was her bid for attention. And what I learned to do, because my relationship with her is a priority. And if she wants my attention, I'm going to give it to her and so the the flopsy is for us a signal of that i want attention and so we 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 explore with people how do you know that you want attention what are the ways that you request or you ask for attention because we know that in successful relationship bids for attentions are met i think it's somewhere up around the high 80 percentile. But in unsuccessful relationships, we have couples and partners respond to those bids for attention only about 28% of the time. So this is a really, really important dynamic for anybody to be aware of is that attention, what I say is attention is the currency of relationships. It's more important than money. It's more important than sex. How you give and receive attention will really contribute to the flourishing or the floundering of your relationship. So our rule is never ignore flopsy. So what that means is that the relationship is my highest priority. And if that's not for people, then that's something that needs to be talked about, and see how everybody feels about that and um, navigate it.
0: When helping a couple figure out their balance of togetherness and space, how do you navigate when one partner really wants a lot of attention and another partner doesn't quite have the bandwidth or the capacity to, to meet and fill that need?
1: Right. Well, what I have found is that if someone is really needy it means they've been depleted they're depleted the reservoir has been depleted and so what i what we have found is that when when attention is richly flowing that the reservoir gets filled and there isn't that kind of neediness so for me that would be a signal that something has been neglected and one of the best ways for people to fill the emotional the good the good feeling reservoir is to appreciate and we have in in our latest relationship book uh, conscious loving ever after we have something we call a, a customizing your appreciation interview because most people don't first of all they don't appreciate they don't let themselves be appreciated but they also don't know how to appreciate. So we have a whole menu for people to select from. So, for example, do you like to be appreciated verbally or non-verbally? Do you like to be appreciated privately or would you like to have your partner appreciate you in front of a whole group of people, you know, or on Facebook or, you know, Instagram? Does your partner like to have what they have done noticed and really underlined, like if they'd done something unexpected. I was remembering a couple that we were working with in Germany where they had a troubled relationship and her husband committed to appreciating her, just making her an appreciation project rather than a fixer-upper, rather than an improvement project. And so he started appreciating her. And she, at first she she said, why is he appreciating me for something that I would have been doing anyway? She just, she couldn't get it. It didn't land for her for a long time, but he just kept at it and finding new things to appreciate about her. And what happened for her was just this miraculous kind of transformation. She sort of turned from sort of a block into she softened and, she started laughing more, she pinked up, she let herself really receive. And they then their relationship got closer. They had uh, another child together who's there. And their relationship is really flourishing, not only for them, but they're both doctors. And so their work with others is now infused with their appreciation for each other. And so one of the things we've noticed about close relationships that are flourishing is that they become like a lighthouse for others and they beam out and other people can get nourishment from them. So it's not just something for you. You become a source of appreciation for anybody who comes in contact with you.
0: Yeah. You just mentioned something that to me is one of the great losses of modernity or post-modernity, wherever we are, In that young couples are no longer surrounded by older couples. As people drift out of their religious organizations, which is fine, religious organizations have their baggage, or they move far away from their families, or their families aren't able to model these things, there is a huge lack of natural mentorship. Yes. And well, and
1: also, I mean, what we have found is when Gay and I got together, we had no relationship models that we could draw on. Yeah. So, and a, a lot of what we've been, moving out of were the society assigned roles for men and women, particularly because it's modeled on heterosexual relationships. Although I have found that our principles work across all relationships. So same-sex couples, work relationships, family relationships. So the dynamics of relationship can be thriving, even if it's not a a romantic relationship. So if someone says, well, I can't practice this because I'm not in a relationship, we say, well, yes, you are. You have people you know, you have friends, and that they can become then your extended family, that we can support each other. We have a whole community that people can participate in. We have a page on Facebook that's called Hearts in Harmony that has relationship tips and people can bring their comments. And we're creating a mentoring community so that people can learn from each other and support each other. And so that we're creating what I would call families of choice.
0: Yes. A lot of people have an idea of what codependency is. It's something that the book Conscious loving spends a good deal of time around, and so just to all be speaking the same language as we do, flush out some ideas about closeness and space. What is your definition of codependency, and what are the gentle ways to bring it back? Because it, it can feel like a real personal attack. I have tried to use the word codependent, and that is not a word well received.
1: <laughs> Let's uh, you just- know. Well, also remember that Conscious Loving was published in 1990. Yes. And so the language that we are all experimenting with and the dynamic that society was experimenting with was either dependent, sort of leaning on another or being whole in yourself, relating as two whole people, or creating more like a ladder where you're both leaning on each other, and if one of you moved, the other would fall over. So one of the classic codependency jokes is how you know that you're codependent is if you're drowning and the other person's life flashes before your eyes. (laughs) It's a, a kind of merging of identity so that I'm actually not, I have not claimed my own individuation. That I am both an individual and I am able to share my feelings, my thoughts freely with another. And so part of it is what happens to my sense of myself? Do I disappear into another? I hardly ever use the word codependent anymore. I would say, do you merge with?" with another? Do you merge your identity with another and then you can't get it back? Uh, Are you able to say, no, I don't want to do that? Or no of any kind, no, I don't like that. No, I want to make another agreement. And also, are you able to share a feeling that's not the same as your partner's? And are you able to feel good and happy and light even if your partner is distressed? So are you able to have your feelings in the same space as your partner having a different feeling? And if you're not, you've got some merging going that needs to be individuated.
0: What do you call the exact opposite end of the spectrum? So like hyper-independence, how would you frame that?
1: Well, the hyper-independent would be what John Gottman would probably call stonewalling. So he talks about the the attitudes that people have that are the most problematic in relationships. And the most problematic is when the man in a heterosexual relationship is stonewalling. That means you just can't get him. You can't find him. My dad was a consummate, I would say, splitter. He would be behind his newspapers. I just couldn't connect with him. I could not contact him. I could see how much of a problem that was for my mother, because she was on the other end. She was like, she needed all the time. So they were really a model of the extremes of the relationship dance. It's such a source of despair for people if you just can't, you know, it's really blood from a stone that if you just can't get attention, that's very, very difficult to overcome. That would be a kind of relationship that we would say the prognosis is not very good for that kind of extreme. But most people, again, that's very much, that's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, most I relationships to... are more in toward the in toward the middle.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to bring it more into the middle, but I just want okay, to get great. kind of a, a feel of what the ends of the spectrum are. One of the phrases that I love in conscious loving is mutual stasis. And I think mm-hmm. it, it really talks about a place that's almost the default maybe that's biological to save calories and energy or whatever it is but it's so easy to fall into autopilot how you phrased it mutual stasis ways of being I understand the pull towards it there's a safety there there's a predictability there right but again one of the things that I noticed talking to my friends is you can very easily end up in a place where if you change one little thing, you've upset the balance. Yes. So if yes. you decide and people
1: get careful, but what tends to happen in that kind of relationship is that there's no uprising juice there. Yeah. And so people, it gets stagnant. It's sort of familiar, but miserable. Yes. And, and so, <laughs> You know, there, and you know, so you'd be sitting around. Like, I was just remembering being at the dinner table with my family where the conversation was always, How was work? Well, it was fine. You know, yeah. what what did you do? Well, we were, you know, I would never hear about what my dad was doing at work. He was off there doing some mysterious thing. I could see that my mother just wanted some contact, give me some juice. So, what people do not understand is that. We must have attention. Humans need attention as much as food and water. Without it, we wither up and our relationships wither up. So one of the things we really support people to do is to open up their own ability to receive attention. Because see, most of us, attention was almost always negative. So when my parents would look toward me, I would disappear because I knew that criticism was about to follow. And so the the patterns that people have of what kind of attention are they getting, that's often what we're unpacking and we're, we're really looking at. Where did you learn to give that kind of critical attention? And what would happen if you shifted to appreciating? and appreciating you and appreciating each other. And we put people on appreciation diets and ask them to create their relationships as a place of no blame, a no blame zone, because we know that blame is the relationship killer. It's the most common pattern that creates relationship disillusion. So really looking at how are you giving and receiving attention with each other is baseline. And foundational, and we keep coming back to it over and over again, and teaching people how to give and receive different kinds of attention than they learned as they were growing up.
0: Yeah. And how to command and ask for attention too. Exactly. I I teach on Fridays at various points of the season, I teach kids outdoor skills, group of kids, and I have no control over who the cohort's going to be. And there's always a few kids who are at first read very difficult. And yeah. obnoxious and when we're yeah. trying to build some kind of culture as a group together, they're the culture destroyers. You know, they're yes. always in the way. I haven't met a kid so far that had a very close relationship with their parents where they got a lot of attention with those types of kids. every And this is anecdotal, so I'm not going to, you know, draw huge conclusions. But so far in my experience, every yeah. single one of my difficult kids says, oh, my mom works in a different town Monday through Friday. She's She works for a big company and they send her away a lot. Or my dad doesn't yeah. come home until early.
1: Attention is food. Yeah. Attention is medicine. Attention is a fuel for your development, for your creativity, for your contribution. And so One of the things I was thinking of as you were saying that, Sam, is that we play a game with each other that is an offshoot of the most popular game in the world. And there's been recent research on this as well, which is really wonderful. So guess what the most popular game that you could play with kids anywhere in the world? Pictionary. Pictionary, right? That would be for <laughs> no. ones that are. Uh, that, yes, and and I can see that's a really popular one. But before that, before we and we don't need any tools for it. The most popular game is Peekaboo.
0: My best friend and producer just literally did this before, so yep, exactly. yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and doesn't matter how old you are. What we're actually doing a lot is Peekaboo. With each other. We take our attention away and then here I am again. And the what I do with people, I've invented a game which is called Get My Attention, which is a version of peekaboo. The game is you get eye contact with your partner. And when you get eye contact, then they have to get eye contact with you. And you can withhold your eye contact as much as you want to. We have people play that. And then we have a big discussion about How do you get attention? How do you ask for attention? What kind of attention feels nourishing to you? What kind of attention feels awful to you? And we begin to open up that whole, I am worthy of attention. I can ask for attention. And then when people get attention, all of those things start calming down because attention lets you know that you're worthy, that I see you and I want to connect with you. And we also know, too, that connection is the antidote to addictions of all kinds. And when people are able to give and receive attention richly, addictions begin to drop off, whether that's the classical addictions, but we also have these days addictions to our devices, that people are trying to get attention from this little box They're trying to get attention from this little device. And we think because there's a bunch of stuff coming into our eyes that we're actually getting nourishment, we're actually getting depleted and we're starving for the kind of attention that actually makes us flourish.
0: That's beautiful. One of the things I was thinking about as I was preparing to talk to you is I was thinking about something similar to attention, which is a lot of us cohabitate when we're in a Intimate, committed relationship, or we spend a great deal of time together. Yes. And it's very easy, I've noticed in a lot of my relationships, to take an economical approach to that <laughs> cohabitation process where it's a bit of divide and conquer. And hey, if you do this, I can do that. And it means that we're, as I compare it to you and Gay's approach, which is much more collaborative. Mm-hmm. I saw a video the other day of a citrus truck in some other country completely tipping and all these crates and crates and crates of oranges or some kind of citrus hit the street and slowly but surely people from the sidewalk start putting the oranges back in the crates until there's now this giant crowd who is kind of taking on this task as a community and what it said is what's incredibly difficult for one is much easier together yes and it made me realize that you know often i'll say oh well i'm i'm going to go wash the dishes or i'm going to be the one to cook and then you can be the one to wash the dishes almost as if like i'm going to do this thing and then you do that thing rather than hey would you like to cook and clean together yes which sounds actually tough you know for somebody who likes a little <laughs> bit of personal time
1: well part of what we we look at the whole concept of genius which is what you love to do that is easy for you. Genius is easy. It's not hard. You're what you love to do that makes a contribution for each of us is unique. And I like to think of us as different instruments in the big orchestra. And that if I'm playing my instrument fully, I'm contributing to the harmony of the orchestra not everybody has to play every instrument. That would just be, uh, well, we're just, we can't do it because nobody's skilled at all of the different instruments. But I, each of us is incredibly skilled at what our essence wants to be expressing in the world. In a relationship, we have different areas of genius. And so on a very practical level, I inherited from my engineer dad The ability to see how things work and so i'm a like the dishwasher i can load the dishwasher in five minutes and figure and and for gay who is who is much more i'm more earthy he's more in the air and he can put things in the dishwasher and and he he'll put like fill it up a third And then want to, you know, and then want to, because it's everything's all over the place. And I come in and I place things and then we can put more things in it for another day before we need to run the dishwasher. So what we've really supported in each other is through appreciation, you come to really realize what each of you, or if you're in a group, what each of you loves to do that's a contribution. So, and there are things that neither of us really like to do, and we delegate those to, to other people. So, we, we pay people to clean the house. You know, I remember back in uh, when we lived in Colorado, gay, I was cleaning the house, taking care of our kids, doing my private practice, and cleaning it. And gay said, Why are you doing that? You, you know how to clean the house you've mastered that. Why don't you let somebody else do that and put your attention into what, into developing what only you can do. And so that's been a challenge for me because part of my persona is being the, you know, I can help, you know, cause I didn't value myself enough that I could contribute my own genius, but I could help. So really owning that I have things to contribute that are unique allowed me to take up more space, but also to collaborate on the things that we want to collaborate on. But each of us have our own unique projects that we're very passionate about, that also contributes to the energy of our relationship.
0: Yeah. There's a one element of the book that I have to cover here, and I, I want <laughs> to spread this concept far and wide. And this is something that Georgie, my partner, and I need to spend some time on, which is the communication strategy of micro truth. It, it was a real brilliant concept between the separation between truth and judgment. And one of the lines I loved is the truth will set you free, but first it will set you off. I, Georgie and I were in a disagreement last night. I was very certain of my stance yesterday and talking with you this morning, I am a little less certain <laughs> I was standing on such, yes. a, such a good foundation, let's just say. And there's almost an immediate text that needs to go out after this conversation conversation. Go, <laughs> <whoops>. <laughs>
1: um, well, I would say that I consider our two, well, actually our three major contributions to the field of relationship is the upper limit problem that yeah. our job is to expand our ability to give and receive more love. And that's a lifelong task for each of us that we work through the body And we work somatically because that allows our whole being to be included. And what you're calling the microscopic truth that I consider being able to describe what you're actually experiencing to another person, to be able to be unedited, to express yourself fully in the presence of another is both magical and also incredibly challenging. So now in our relationship, I can just express, we have this flow of communication that's always open. And what we needed to work through was the tendency to be right, very, very popular because you get a burst of adrenaline and the fear of saying something to the other and have it be judged or criticized because almost all of us have been punished for telling the truth. I actually don't use microscopic truth anymore because people have so much trouble with truth, the word truth. There's so much baggage on it that's very difficult for people to hear the possibility of what I now call speaking from discovery sharing your experience, speaking in an unedited way to let people know that the benefit is that you open. This is your main communication channel in between your heart and your mouth. This opening your throat allows your whole energy to expand to be expressed it allows your creativity your full sexuality your juiciness to be experienced and so we made a commitment it's in conscious loving the the short version of it is i commit to reveal rather than conceal and that was such a biggie for me because i did a lot of my growing up in the midwest And part of the ethic when I was growing up was that you never said anything that would be considered critical about anybody else. And what that also tended to be, you couldn't share your feelings. We had to go to our rooms when we were angry. My dad got to be angry all the time, but I had to go to my room if I felt angry. The kinking the hose on your communication has a tremendous impact on how open, you can let this flow of attention and communication and love be between you. So the commitment to reveal rather than to conceal also brought up the other thing I wanted to share with you, that commitment is just the stepping in. It's recommitment that gets you from here to there. So for me, learning how to reveal I recommitted to that probably 500 times at least before it became integrated and something that became more choiceless. So now I have no trouble at all just saying what's going on. But I would say that is probably one of the key hose-kinking moves that people have in there. They start to say something and then they're afraid and they withhold, and then they get separate from their partner. It's that withhold, withdraw project that I was talking about earlier. I start to say something to you because we're meant to express, I withhold, and then you start looking different, and it looks like it's your fault. So one of the things I recommend to people is if you're feeling kind of flat in your relationship, it's like a a ho-hum, there's something that you haven't communicated. And it's often very simple, like, I felt angry or no, I felt hurt when you left and you didn't say goodbye. I'm scared that your friends aren't going to like me. And so that's why I was so quiet tonight. So I thought if I just am quiet, I don't make any trouble. So it's often something very simple because it's the act of revealing that has the power. And it's the act of concealing that creates the distance and separation.
0: There's a skill there that was talked about in the book too, which really made me, I mean, I put the book down and I thought about this for a while, Mm. which was the idea of not talking in concepts, but talking in what in the book you called truths. And so for instance, you say depression is a concept, a contraction or weight on your chest and your body. That is actually a truth. And so you could say, Hey, I'm angry, but angry is concept. What is it below that? Like, Are are you scared? Are you feeling threatened? Like to get a little bit more specific. And it made me realize that to me, I am relying on these kind of conceptual understandings when communicating with people that doesn't actually describe what's going on to me in that moment. And I just thought- Yeah,
1: that's such a beautiful way of describing that. Thank you. This has been, you know, probably, that's why I consider it our major contribution because it is really revolutionary to speak from your being rather than to speak from what you've learned from your head and in concepts, because concepts take up the size of a quarter in your brain. But when you are really looking at what you are feeling, what you are experiencing, that takes in your whole being. So what we call the microscopic truth, we then begin to call the unarguable truth. And there are two benefits from saying something unarguable. First, it's a great way to stop an argument. You'll know that you've said something unarguable because the argument stops. And I've seen <laughs> that. Like my, my favorite example was a couple who came in. They were very estranged. They were sitting on opposite ends of the couch. And I was, I was talking with them about <clears throat> the microscopic truth, <clears throat> excuse me, the unarguable truth about what is that? And we were trying on different things. And and he said, Oh, I just don't get it. And I said, That's it. That's what you're experiencing, right? I just don't get it. That was his unarguable truth, right? And and what followed that was, Oh, you mean like my hands are sweaty? Oh, yeah. And then he directly said, I don't know why I'm so angry. And his wife burst into tears and said, That's the first time I've experienced something actually real. And I feel so much more connected to you. And it happened like boom, instantly. So the unarguable truth is body sensations. It may seem very like my cheeks are hot. So that's unarguable. It may not be profound, but it's what's actually going on right now. There's all kinds of body sensations. And I feel angry is true unless you add, because when you add, because <laughs> then you've gone conceptual and it's usually, I'm angry because you, you know, yeah, I'm always. angry. Because, yeah.
0: And, and so help me imagine going beyond that. So sure. somebody is doing some stimuli that genuinely does seem to be driving me crazy. I'm irritated because is so deeply programmed into me. I can't even conceptualize how to communicate that another way.
1: Well, and that's also, that's part of our world. <clears throat> it's part of our culture because people will go, why, you know, wh- you know, why are you uh, annoyed? And I'm supposed to be able to figure that out, you know, cause we think that's, what's a value. And we have seen that why has zero evolutionary value, but how? is a great question. So how, one of my favorite questions is, how, how am I organizing me right now to experience being angry? Like, what am, I, what, what am I doing? Well, I'm hunching my shoulders. I'm judging you. I'm not letting you know what I really want. And then things start to open up where I can say, I'm feeling angry. And as I give my attention to that, If I get curious about that, I can also say, oh, I'm noticing this feels familiar. That's also a great question for people. So how is this thing that's going on that looks like it's you, how is it familiar? Because I'm co-creating this with you because it's what I learned. So it gets us back to the learning relationship. What could I learn from this that I could do something differently? What is it that I really want here? That's a very favorite question because underneath all of that is something that you really want. I want more closeness. I want you to take out the garbage rather than me having to remind you. So requests will often come up out of this exploration. But what really often comes up is, oh, that is familiar because the way you were looking at me I was just now seeing that's the way that my dad used to look at me just before he would yell. And then people get to unwind the repetition of a pattern that they've been recreating. And that comes from us being willing to explore with each other, being willing to see each other as allies. I would say for me, that was the biggest shift that made the delight. In fact, this month where Gay and I are celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary, which just seems like astounding. And it just keeps getting better. The whole possibility of love continuing to expand really comes from your recommitment to see your partner as your ally. And for me, the switch was, I always saw gay, you're always criticizing me. That was my blame statement. But when I committed to seeing him as my ally, because that's something I can do. I can commit to like, you're seeing you right now as my, you're my learning buddy right now. Sam, as we're talking, and if I found myself drifting away and going, "God, he's doing a bad job here," all (laughs) I do is recommit, which which isn't happening, by the way. But if 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 I were having that thought, I would recommit to seeing you as my ally, and then that opens up our our flow of co creation together.
0: I love that. There is no possible way to get everything out in this conversation (laughs) that I want to get out. I am a huge fan. (laughs) Uh, we, we could uh, do
1: this again. <laughs> I,
0: I honestly, so I'll read the guest books, and it's very much a, a beautiful end to a learning session with a teacher. When we have the final conversation, the the depth of your two's collaboration and work is such a, a treasure trove, especially for people like me who are just discovering it. It's it's like discovering a great show and seeing that there's 10 seasons that you, you, <laughs> yes, know, that you know get to-
1: i know what you mean yes yeah yes and i so appreciate that and your enthusiasm too of kind of rediscovering these it kind of refreshes it's like bringing new water in which is something that we need in the in the west right now one of the things i wanted to share with you and with your listeners is we have two websites and one of them the foundation for conscious living has a wealth of free videos that are precisely on these subjects about how to tell the microscopic truth. There's something we call matching, which is our latest version of how you learn to express in a way that really aligns. Your insides and your outsides, and gives you a lot of momentum. And so that's on the foundation. There are ways to open your breathing, to communicate with each other, with more, having more fun, and particularly how to befriend fear, because fear is the big block I think that's happening all over the globe right now. So, how to turn fear into flow is part of what people could experience to dive more deeply into the work if they go to uh, foundationforconsciousliving.org. Dot, dot it's our charitable foundation.
0: Well, I look forward to doing the dive myself. And then, One of course,
1: of- we also have Hendrix Institute, where we have a lot of our relationship material.
0: Yes, I've been I've been at that website <laughs> extensively. One of the things I see as something I, I just want to to hear your thoughts on, because I think it is part of the the first step into a recommitment phase is we all go through kind of growth spurts at different times yes and it I it is one of the most frustrating parts of being in a relationship being with a friend being with a partner yes is that when you feel the spiritual, Wings or rocket boosters starting to fire on beneath your feet, and it's time for a growth cycle. And you go to your partner and you say, "Let's work out more. Let's exercise." They might not be on the same chapter, and so as somebody finds your book, finds your knowledge, and goes, "Wow, I really want to recommit with my partner," and they're Mm -hmm. not there yet. I think part part of your your job as as a teacher is to help the the first interested party in becoming a salesperson or a leader or a cultural influencer to help bridge that gap. <laughs> because if they just expect their partner to meet them with enthusiasm, yeah. we know yes. where that's going.
1: Yeah, I would say also that this is what we call the question. So whenever we do, you know, a seminar or we're, you know, speaking to any kind of a big audience, there will be at least several people who will ask that, you know, I'm interested and my partner is not. Or I'm in a different growth cycle. And the cycles of closeness and individuation, individuation is almost always the, ooh, I've got something that I'm passionate about this and I'm really pursuing it. That may not really include your partner. We like to invite people to consider their relationship as a big meadow. And to make the meadow big enough that both of you can be having your explorations and still be connected. So there there'll be, have been times we had a, our first phase was really a unity phase where we literally wanted to be able to finish each other's sentences. And we did. We were able to like go on shows and one of us would start something and the other one would finish it. And then we began to realize We wanted to live in harmony, but harmony requires two voices. You can't have harmony with just one voice. You have a Gregorian chant. So harmony requires two full voices, which is really the power of individuation. And so we went through a period of probably five years where we were more individuated. And I was really developing, here's what I want to do and contribute in the world. And gay was continuing to do. He's always had a writing thread that goes through. We've written 12 books together. What I developed was a whole training program. So I'm part of my genius is in collaborating with people to grow. And I love to do that. And Gay says I'm the best teacher in the world. So I'm going to just share that with you. And I love it. And it gives me energy. And I'm able then to bring that energy back To our relationship. So that's the idea of the meadow is that you're taking responsibility for your own evolution. And then that includes your partner, not always in obvious ways, but definitely in the juice and the thriving of the relationship. And the other thing is that the, the, the individuation that you are creating, if you're part, if you're moving at a different pace than your partner, we always suggest that people model, not that they're a salesperson, because people, if they're scared, especially they're not, they'll feel pushed and threatened by, look, you got to do what I'm doing. Because this kind of growth, you know, people move at different paces. And so we found that if people demonstrate and model, so if I'm modeling appreciation and I'm modeling telling the unarguable truth, it is absolutely going to impact your partner. Because anytime you put something different into a system, you change the whole system. You don't, so making just one choice that's different can have this influence that will really kind of astound you.
0: Yeah. So taking the, the role of attraction rather than promotion, as we say in recovery
1: Yes, but, but exactly. Of, yeah. Of because when paid, you promote, we have this kind of distrust of salespeople. Yeah. You know, like you're gonna take something from me. And this is really a generous model. It's I'm I'm approaching you with appreciation and curiosity, and I'm really interested in what's going on for you. I'm not trying to put something on you. I'm really sharing with you what I'm experiencing. And so sometimes. We've seen most often the person will expand to join their partner, but not always. Sometimes that will lead to we've gone as far as we can go together and then people split, but they often, they'll split in a way that's very honoring of the other and it doesn't become combative and a learning relationship can become a celebratory relationship. But sometimes you've learned what there is to learn and you and you both split because we live much longer now than we used to. So- people can have a series of relationships rather than just one that they stay in forever.
0: Yeah. I'm going to end it this way, which is if I could hand you a phone right now, or if I could press a button right now and every human in a relationship would get a phone call and they would, they would pick up their phone and, and hear your, your prayer or mantra or offering to them as a couple What is, what would you want them to hear on the other end just to help kind of guide, remind them what's true and guide them back into something full of love?
1: Well, what I was experiencing is I want everybody to know that you are completely lovable. You are completely lovable just as you are. And that your big job in the world is to expand your capacity to enjoy giving and receiving more love every day. And what a great job.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How To Human podcast. I don't know about you. I have a a lot to think about. I have a text to send to my partner, Georgie, apologizing for my stance last night. I have a deep desire to continue learning from these two teachers. I hope maybe the right People who needed to hear this conversation are inspired to know that there is a beautiful body of work by two incredibly smart thinkers and feelers. It's Katie and Gay Hendricks. You can check them out on the Hendricks Institute. Any links that I think are worth your time pointing you towards will be in this episode's description. Again, this show is audience funded. So if you like this program, you can help support the legwork it takes to make this program, which includes trying to book these guests Extensive editing, research, it takes a lot of time and energy. It is a labor of love, but I would love to feel financially secure doing it. You can go to patreon.com slash howtohuman. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash howtohuman. You can watch these episodes in video format. You can join our book club, which is incredible. Uh, We're in our third session as I record this outro, and I am so excited to have a group of like-minded humans reading some of these great books. So that's it for now. Until next time, have a good day.